Have you ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and registered art therapist. And I'm Catherine Escare, a clinical psychologist, and this is Am I a Bad Therapist? Join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy door. You'll hear experiences that made us ask, am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern day therapists. This is a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar chairs. And while we're not the gatekeepers for good and bad therapy, because we're bad therapists too, we are here to shine a light on the difficult decisions therapists face on a daily basis and normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. Our mission on Am I a Bad Therapist is to normalize and humanize our existence as therapists. You can help us spread this message by subscribing and leaving us a review wherever you are right now, whether that's YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, you know the drill. You can also help us by sharing Am I a Bad Therapist with your network, whether it's on social media, your stories, or just between colleagues. Every listener helps us make a difference in this field, and we'll always reshare if you tag us. If you're listening to the podcast, make sure to check out our pretty faces on our YouTube channel. And if you're watching us on YouTube, make sure to head over to our podcast and leave a review. You can find all of our links in the notes below. We pick a few lucky five-star reviewers to shout out and invite for a 15-minute consultation with the both of us to talk about anything on your mind. From clinical work to podcasting, we're game. Just make sure to leave us your name and location in the review. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Catherine, where were you working when the pandemic hit? Uh, I was actually in office, integrated primary care, doing all in-person sessions and had to literally overnight transition to all telehealth while my coworkers were literally on the front lines because it was primary care doing all the testing. It was a wild ride. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine how challenging that was. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I got out of it unscathed. I feel for my coworkers. That's more Mm -hmm. of where my heart lied. Um, But where were you? Where were you working? So I was actually in private practice for myself and I was in person, but I transitioned to telehealth. But it got me thinking um, because I used to work in community mental health, as we talked about in episode seven, but I couldn't help but reflect and wonder how the heck I could have worked in community mental health in the pandemic. And my it made me think of all yeah. of our colleagues who are doing community mental health um, and just 
I can't even, still can't even imagine how it was navigated. I know. That's why I was excited when Eddie uh, reached out to us to join us on Am I a Bad Therapist? Because he was in community mental health, not only in community mental health during the pandemic, but he was in the crisis unit. And he is going to share with us about how he handled it and also how his organization handled it and how that mis misfit between the two maybe made him question his value as a therapist. Yeah, it's a good one. I hope you guys are ready. Yes. And before we get started, just a friendly reminder that everything we say here is for entertainment purposes and not a substitute for therapy, ethical guidance, or clinical consultations. All right. Well, this is episode number nine of Am I a Bad Therapist? Let's get into it. Well, hey, Eddie. Welcome to Am I a Bad Therapist? Thank you. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> So before we hear about why you're a bad therapist, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your practice, how you got to where you're at today? Mm -hmm. Well, there's a ton of reasons why I'm a bad therapist, but yeah, we will, um, I'll tell you guys <laughs> about me first. Uh, I am currently in Oregon. Uh, I'm originally from the San Jose Bay area in California. Um, I've been in Oregon now for, I think this year is going to be like 12 years. So it's been a long time at this point. Like I drive a Subaru. Um, I have my Oregon license. Like I'm I think I'm an Oregonian at this point, um, but yeah, I'm I'm a, a licensed prof, licensed professional counselor in Oregon. I actually work at a high school. Um, my official title is mental health specialist. Um, I just tell people I'm the school therapist. There's not a whole. <laughs> I think when I when I started last fall, I showed up to like new staff orientation uh and even like the director of student services was like we're so happy you're here uh we don't exactly know what you're doing but we're just glad you're here and i'm like i i think i'm glad i'm here too like well <laughs> i guess we'll figure it out so yeah that's a little bit about me that's awesome, awesome. that's so funny I, I mean i'm going off on a tangent before we even get started but <laughs> i was Perfect. actually also a school-based therapist as well before i was in private practice and the exact same thing happened to me they were like this is really great you're here with a school-based health center um mm -hmm. but we don't really know what to do so i feel like it's not just in oregon it happens in connecticut apparently too yeah. uh and it's, it's good. It's a great place to be, but no one knows what you do. <laughs> yeah. it's. I mean, I think it's really cool. And I think every, anytime I tell anybody like, oh, I'm a therapist at a high school, I, I get like nine times out of the 10 is the same reaction of like, oh, that's so great. Like it's so needed. But then like not a whole lot of people know of like how it actually like fits. Like the education world is so different from the mental health mm -hmm. world. Yeah, there's a lot of overlap, but it's just so different. And like trying to make it fit when you're like, cramming into a five class or six class schedule with like periods and like different lunches and like it's just a lot but yes I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you get it <laughs> yeah and then I feel like we we have to ask you to give us a plug because you're a podcaster too <laughs> yeah no thank you guys for for the opportunity um yeah so I am the therapist half uh, of a show called Millennial Mental Health Channel. Uh, my co-host Justin is a psychiatrist. He's currently doing uh, his fellowship in Nebraska. I don't want to like butcher it and say where exactly he's at, but he's do he's a, <laughs> a a child and adolescent uh, psychiatrist in training. Um, yeah, we've we've been doing our show since November 2019. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. We really enjoy it, and honestly, I feel like I just 
it keeps me learning uh, without having to do like con- boring, continuing education stuff. Like I can learn <laughs> like in a more fun or a funner way. I don't know the right way to say it, but in a more entertaining way. So yeah, thank you guys for letting me plug it. Absolutely. And I completely agree with you. This, this show keeps us on our toes. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I feel like I have way. to keep learning. Yeah, exactly. In the best way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like a chore, which I think is cool. Yeah. So Eddie, we're dying to know you're a podcaster, you're a therapist, you work with high schoolers. This could go in any number of different directions. So tell us why, what story would you like to share with us today about why you're a bad therapist? Yeah. Um, well, I think it, we're going to take it back a little bit. It's not that far. Uh, March 2020, uh, as you guys are well aware and any listeners well aware, uh, the world kind of shut down. And I think it was things were kind of creeping in that direction. I remember in February, I, I went to like a bachelor party and I went to Hawaii. And, and in those times, like people were kind of talking like, oh, what is this this COVID thing happening? Like, what you know, what we don't know anything about it. Let's just live our life. Finally, in March, um, I think I remember I, I used to work in a community mental health uh, clinic, which um, I think you guys are well aware of community mental health. It's its, its own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked there for at that point. I was going on to my third year. Um, I remember coming home from work one day and just I got the notification. I think one of the NBA basketball games got canceled. And that's when I kind of knew like things were we're not okay. Um, professional sports, like they do everything in their power to not cancel things. Uh, there's a lot of money to be made and a lot of money to be missing if they're going to do that. So um, I knew something was wrong. I went to work the next day. I remember we met in this big like conference room that we had, but we're all very like spread out, like just the whole like six feet thing. Um, and at that point, like slowly but surely, like things started to kind of like fall apart. Um, at the community mental health clinic, I was on the crisis team. So that was its own thing. I, I would either go, I would go to like the juvenile detention center. I'd work with walking crisis that came in for the day. Sometimes we would go to the hospitals in the community and just do mental health screenings in the emergency department. And what we did was during the week, like Monday through Friday, we handled the ones from eight to five o'clock. Um, after hours, we contracted with the local university and their society students, and they would take over after hours and over the weekend. Um, but because the world was starting to shut down, uh, all those students went back home. They all pretty much were told to leave campus. And there was a big gap of like, however many hours that needed to be covered every day in terms of like after hours crisis. Um, so the, the clinic was scrambling, the adult clinic was scrambling and they didn't know what to do. Eventually they just said, Hey, we need help. If anybody is available, um, please consider trying to cover these shifts, whether it's the weekend, whether it's late night, even if you can only do like four hours at a time, please consider it. And and then to make it more desirable, uh, they said, we'll pay you overtime, like whatever we have to do, like, let's make it happen. Uh, So me being, how old was I at the time? 27. uh, I heard more money. Uh, I I knew at that point, like I wasn't going to be seeing my girlfriend for a little bit. She was living in in Southern Oregon at the time. Uh, We're going to need to keep our distance. Right. So I was like, well, if I'm going to be working and I need to be away from her, I might as well make as much money as I can. Like, this is a great idea. So I took it upon myself to to volunteer to to cover a bunch of shifts, Um, whatever it took. I didn't really care. I lived in town, too. So it was like a five minute drive to work every day. Uh, a 15 minute drive to the other hospital. And then the other hospital, the first hospital in town was, was very close. So to me, I I thought it was a great opportunity to make more money uh, and do that because community mental health, the paychecks were not 
we're not great. Uh, so I did that. I signed up for a bunch and then I think I was like two to three weeks into it. Uh, and I got my supervisor came into my office and was like, Hey, uh, you know, thanks for covering all of Saturday. Like, thanks for being on call for 10 hours. Um, we need you to take tomorrow off, uh, because we don't want to pay you overtime. And I was like, well, hold on. Like I <laughs> no. first off, uh, second, uh, you guys told me like you got, I could do this, you know, and we got into it. We ended up meeting with like the, the clinic manager and I was very firm on like, no, like you told me I could do this. You told me I could get overtime. There's even like emails of like, yeah, you guys can wait at home and have your cell phone and you can watch Netflix and do this and that. And as long as you're on call, that's all that matters. And then they come, they quickly backtracked. And, and from there uh, was kind of the beginning of the end of my time <laughs> at the clinic. Cause at that point I was like, if, if I could like do this huge favor for the clinic and then you're going to backtrack and, and make it seem like I'm doing something wrong, then I don't think I want to be here anymore. Wow. Yeah. That's like <laughs> label. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was just saying, it almost feels like a slap in the face of like the world is chaotic, you know, I mean, mm. still, but especially at that point. Yeah. And you were going out of your way. And for them to backtrack, that's just, I can't even imagine how you felt. Yeah. Like the, the biggest slap in the face. Yeah. I felt, and I just remember sitting like, in my office and my supervisor trying to like convince me, like pretty much like begging me, like, please, can you take tomorrow off to not have to pay overtime? And I was just like, no, like, why would I, I, I And I remember I, that day, that same day after we talked it over and they're like, fine, we'll pay you overtime, but moving forward, like we can't, I emailed out to the whole like crisis team group people that had agreed to take shifts and i said hey just so everybody knows uh i took my name off of you know this many shifts uh, i'm not going to be covering anymore uh thank you and i remember the adult team supervisor emailing me back and saying well if you ever find that you need extra work to do like please feel free to pick up shifts again and i was just like no thank you <laughs> i'm fine i have enough work to do uh but sure <laughs> Yeah. How did it feel to pull back, to, to, to go back on, I mean, they went back on their commitment first, but then that mm -hmm. made you go back on your commitment to covering shifts when it sounds like you were a gung-ho team player yeah. and then suddenly no one was on your side. So you're saying, see, ya. what was that like? Yeah. I mean, I think a little piece of me or maybe a bigger piece, like felt bad about it. Like I think, um, any therapist that that's in it for the right reasons is going to have some type of way of feeling of like, I feel bad. Um, yeah. But, I, and when I said, I feel like this is the beginning of the end of my time there. That's when I started to think of like, like nobody in the grand scheme of things besides me and like, I guess my friends and family and my, my girlfriend, like nobody cares about me <laughs> in this job. Like more than just like, as long as I get my stuff done, cool. They care about me. But I started to realize like if I quit next week, like the only thing that's going to happen is they're just going to post my job again and they'll need to find somebody mm -hmm. else. Um, so at that point it really made me think, I'm like, well, if there's the biggest disaster going on in the world and I'm, I'm willing to to help out and, and, and be, like you said, a team player. And then they're just going to like throw it all away. Then like, I, I don't, I don't want to be around these people. Like I just don't want to be here. Yeah. 
That makes sense. And I will say, I it's so interesting when you started talking about COVID and community mental health, I thought initially that this was going to be about like, you had to go into homes and COVID. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm glad that there's another perspective, but I am curious of how did they handle, you know, safety of you going into the community, being around people and still working when so many mm-hmm. people transitioned to telehealth during that time? What was that like for you? Was that another layer upon this? Uh, they handled it very poorly. Uh, they, the, their way of handling it was, um, okay, we need to limit the amount of people in the clinic. Uh, so if you're not going to be in the clinic, you can work from home. If you're going to work from home, here is this Excel spreadsheet that we just made. Uh, we need you to type in what you're doing every 30 minutes, and then we need you to send it into your, your supervisor every day, just so we can track what you're doing throughout the day. So the loophole, I guess, around that was if I show up to the clinic and I keep my door closed and I don't talk to anybody for 10 hours, I don't have to prove that I'm working. But if I stay home and try to be safe and limit interactions with other people, I have to prove that I'm working. So it was a very poor system. Uh, A lot of people were upset by it, me included. Uh, So I just showed up to work every day and I sat in my office. Uh, I actually bought a Nintendo Switch, uh, like right (laughs) when this was going on. Um, And I would just play my Switch because there no clients were coming in. Uh, At the time, it was like, okay, it's, it's, what was it, like two weeks, right, to flatten the curve and then we'll kind of go from there. Um, So everyone's like, oh, it's call me in two weeks and we'll set up another appointment. We'll figure it out from there. Well, you know, two weeks rolls by a month, month and a half. And it's like, nobody wants to come in person. Um, it's community mental health clinic. So, you know, I'd, I'd loved working with the population I was working with, but not everybody had access to at the time, reliable internet, um, mm-hmm. a, a device that had a camera, um, doing phone sessions, as you guys are probably well aware is, is awful. Um, I actually don't even, I don't like virtual sessions anyway. Um, so I, it was just a hard time for me. So yeah, I, the way around it was I would just show up and, and sit in my office and I had a couch. So I'd sit on the couch and play my switch. And I guess if they needed need me to, to prove that I was working, then I would just show up every day. But it was, it was a big, it was a big issue. Um, there was that, there was, uh, as far as PPE, I think they gave us like one mask and then, uh, that was kind of it. But at the time I also remember like they, off uh hospitals and and doctors offices they needed to be the ones that had all the pp so that was that was understandable but like that yeah there's not a whole lot of like we're here for you we're supporting you like it was very much the the opposite at the beginning um and it made it really hard and it, it really also showed me like my favorite part of my job and i was i was more than willing to i i had it in my what my five-year plan or whatever, that I was going to be there for an extended period of time. I, I really liked my clients, really liked my coworkers. I was working four ten, so I had a three-day weekend every week. Community mental health for what it lacks in, in pay. Um, the benefits were great. Like There was just a lot of really positive things that I enjoyed. Um, but as soon as my clients and my coworkers got taken away, uh, that's when I was like, yeah, this is, this is kind of it. I'm, I'm not, I am not happy. Yeah, so here you are in a crisis, community mental health crisis unit, and the pandemic hits, they're saying, we need coverage. You're saying, I love this work. I love my clients. And I could also use some extra money. I'm showing up as a team player, working as many hours as I can, serving the patients, ready, how about this, ready to serve the patients. (laughs) But then the organizational structure and leadership 
it doesn't support you actually seeing the patients and or compensating you for your time spent covering shifts. So you're saying, hey, I'm ready to go. I'm a good therapist. Look at me. I'm ready to go. But the environment you were in didn't allow you to actually do the work and do do what Mm -hmm. you love. Right. Or even reward you for that or even compensate you for that. I shouldn't even say reward, just compensate. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it, and it made it when it, eventually I think they got enough complaints on like, okay, fine, you can work from home and you don't have to like send in your, your timesheet. And then at that point I was like, you know, there would be, I would be at home, I think a couple days a week. Um, and it was just hard. Like, it, you know, the clients didn't want to talk. Um, I didn't want to talk. Like I'm, I'm trying to bear the, the grunt of like this pandemic for myself, like the pandemic for myself and trying to take care of myself. Like I wasn't, coping very well so it was just it was a tough time and i think at that point i was like okay this is not um this is not fun anymore like i just there was a period of time where i was like i just don't i'm not sure what i want to do now um but working here is not ideal anymore and it sucked too because like i said i had like a five minute commute to work um and i don't know if i'll ever be able to beat that again like that was the only issue was i did show up late more the closer I live than when I lived 45 minutes away. <laughs> I was always early 45 minutes away, five minutes away. I was like walking in at like 802 <laughs> to like the crisis team meeting. Like, Oh, Hey guys. Nope. I didn't just get here. I had to run to my car and grab something for the third day in a row. So um, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a mess at that point. Let's pause here for a quick ad break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you looking to incorporate more creativity into your clinical practice, but don't know where to start? As a registered art therapist, I truly believe that every clinician can utilize creativity in what they do. I absolutely love offering consultation and supervision to share with clinicians how to ethically incorporate therapeutic art making into their clinical practice. I focus on easy and simple interventions with very little prep work for you and your clients. Visit www.cccs.care to learn more. By the way, the number one support for those of us asking ourselves, am I a bad therapist? Are clinical consultation groups. If you don't have one yet, join us on the Teletherapist Network for unlimited peer consultation groups, including a lot of different specialty groups like clinicians of color, LGBTQ+, couples counseling, EMDR. And of course, Creativity in the Clinical Room hosted by me, Allie plus masterclasses, media leads, and everything else you need for an ethical, modern clinical practice. Join us at teletherapistnetwork.com. And now back to the show. Yeah. Okay. So what happened then? So they told you, like we said, that you couldn't do the overtime or they wouldn't pay you the overtime. You Mm -hmm. send out that email. What happened next? Yeah, I I tried to just do telehealth stuff with the clients that I did have. You know, at that time, um, being on the crisis team, when our supervisor would like lay out your hours, like your your billable hours of like this is how this is how many clients you should have compared to your crisis work, 
I was always, because I did so much crisis work, really, I was only supposed to have like 20 clients, but I had like 40 because it's community mental health. That's just how it works. Um, So I was trying to work with my clients, but, you know, a lot of them, because they were dealing with their own issues, were just like, this is not the right time. This is too difficult. Mm -hmm. I completely understood. Um, At that point, I was just like, well, I I don't know. I don't know what else to do. I guess I'll just kind of do the best that I can. And and the hard part was I had a, and I think I mentioned before I started recording, I would, there wasn't too much client stuff, but there was one situation where I had a client who was um, really struggling at home and was, was no longer going to be in that um, foster home that he was in. And there would be a couple of times during that, that three to four month period where I was still there before I left, where um, on like a Friday where I had the day off, I would say, Hey, to the, the team that we had, the wraparound team. Hey, if you need me, you know, this is really important. Like, just let me know and I can support in whatever way possible. There was one time where we we took the client out to eat um, just because we, we wanted to, to be with him for a little bit and it didn't even need to be therapeutic. We just wanted to take him to eat. And somebody found out, my supervisor found out that on a Friday for an hour and a half, I ate a burrito with a client and they actually got upset with me because they said I didn't ask for this, this was overtime again. There's like, I, I didn't ask to have overtime approved. Uh, and I told them directly, I was like, well, I don't want to get paid for that. I was, I was just eating. Like, it doesn't matter. I just wanted to see this client and make sure they're okay. Um, so that happened. And then like two months later, similar situation where on a Friday, uh, crap was hitting the fan. The, the team needed me at least for just some consultation. I stepped in, we talked it over, whatever it was. My supervisor found out again. And then my manager hit me with, uh, what is it called? It was called like a letter of instruction. Um, basically the precursor to being like formally written up. Uh, and it was basically telling me like you're being written up because on multiple occasions you have done work outside of your working time frame, uh, and that's not okay. So even more so like I, I was <laughs> the burrito, the damn burrito, like even more so like I was willing to, uh, go above and beyond in the middle of like the, the world on fire. Uh, and my job was not happy about that. And I remember at that point, that was kind of like, <clears throat> I'd said like, I, I didn't want to work there anymore, but that was like it. That was like the last straw. I was very petty about it. I printed out the letter of instruction. Uh, I taped it to my door. So whatever coworkers were in the clinic could see it. Um, and I was very like, just vocal of like, this is not okay. I'm not happy about this. You are telling me that you're going to be upset with me because I'm doing extra work. And this is for this is now the second or third time in the last three months that I'm willing to do these extra things and be there for my clients. Uh, but now you want me to be in trouble. So yeah, it was not a good final three months. Wow. So yeah. <laughs> here they are saying we need coverage, we need extra work. Wait, we're not gonna pay you. Oh, you want to do it for free? Now we're gonna write you up. Yep. Yeah. So <laughs> This is a really interesting situation where it sounds like upon reflection, you're able to say, I showed up in the best way I could as a therapist, but my environment actually didn't let me be a good therapist. But I wonder when you were going through it, did you, did the environment make you question whether you were a bad therapist or not? I think that, and and it made me question if I was like a bad person, like it it was really, it was hard for me. Like it was, it was tough. And like, I think that is when um, we talk about burnout, right, in our profession a lot. Like it's probably not talked about enough in school and in training, but it gets brought up once in a while. And uh, the same people that are telling you to to take care of yourselves are are the same people that are kind of the the reason why therapists are getting burnt out in certain agencies. Um, 
Yeah. And at the time I was just like really questioning, like, am I doing something wrong? Am, am I the issue? Like, am I the problem? Like, do I need to like stop and do I need to just like shut up and put my head down? Like what, what is happening? Um, and that's when I really started to think, like, I think this is, I think this is the, what the people call burnout. Like, I think this is it. Like, I don't know if this, I think this is it. I think this is the first time I'm experiencing this. And it really got to the point where like my alarm would go off in the morning and I would just, I was already saying like I was I was already kind of showing up late even though it was five minutes away but I was like really showing up late like I was like not I had the hardest time getting out of bed um, there was multiple times where like the morning of at like eight oh four I would just send an email and say hey I'm I'm not coming in today or like I'm taking the day off like I was it was tough it was it's really making me question like I guess like what is life like what is the point of all this like I can't. I don't know. Like this is not, I can't get out of bed for this anymore. Like, I just don't know. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Well, that's so valid. And it makes so much sense. Cause like you're saying, you know, you're loving the work that you do, but that had gotten stripped back so far. Mm -hmm. And then the environment was challenging. They weren't necessarily being as supportive as they could. Why would you want to come in? So I feel like I would be right there with you. Yeah. Yeah, I think what was hard too is like, yeah, my coworkers got taken away, so I had like nobody to talk to at work, and we're I'm, I'm I very much enjoy uh, the collaboration that is like any type of mental health job that I've had, where it's like, hey, do you have a couple minutes? Like, let me walk in your office, let's talk for a little bit, and that got like completely taken away. So at that point, I was just like, man, I'm by myself. I don't know. I don't know who to turn to and I don't know who to ask. You know, I have my support people and the people that that love me and take care of me, but really like they they don't always fully understand what it is, like how the work can drain you in a particular way, you know, compared to their job. So it it is hard to like talk about that kind of stuff with people that like aren't in the job um, just because they don't get it and not because they don't want to get it. They just don't have that -hmm. experience of like, eight clients in a row with five minutes each to do the note and then trying to get all the notes done. Because if you don't, then it's going to add to the 15 other notes that you haven't signed off in time. And if you don't sign those off in time, then the little like tab on your electronic health records is going to turn red. And anytime it turns red, it stresses me out because it's everything is late. So it's just like, there's, it's just a different world that unless you're like in it, and I'm sure it's the same with other professions, they, they probably say the same thing. Like, unless you're in it, you don't fully understand mm-hmm. the stress of it. Um, but yeah, it, it felt like I was, I was by myself. You recognized change needed to happen for you. Um, sounds like you also recognize I need to get myself out of this environment. Yeah. <laughs> what, where'd you go? What'd you do? What was your next yeah. move? Um, well, at that point I was like worried cause I was, you know, I wasn't fully licensed yet. I was like maybe like two months away from being licensed, three months away. And I was like looking for jobs. And at the time, like a lot of jobs were saying like licensed or, or almost. And I, for me, I was like, well, I don't know if I want to go through the hassle of like changing jobs, then having to find a new supervisor because the clinic provided me one and like, how is that whole transition? Excuse me, going to go. And eventually I said, whatever, I'm just going to apply to these jobs, see what happens. And I actually got a couple interviews pretty quickly, like at a hospital, like a pretty big hospital system up here. Um, and the one that was full time and was like ready to offer me a job, which I probably should have seen as 
potentially a red flag at the time, but I needed to get out, uh, was a partial hospitalization and intensive outpatient eating disorder program. Uh, and I'd never, I, I don't remember ever talking about eating disorders in school. Um, I probably heard the term eating disorder at work like three times. So I had zero, like zero experience. But at that point I was like, I will take whatever I can get. Um, when my, the, the future manager was on the phone asking me like, are you interested in this population? I was very sincere and like, I have no clue, but I want to learn. I'm, I have no issue learning. I'm, I'm very open to it. Um, but yeah, I, I just said like, what in my head, I'm like, whatever it takes to get out, like, let me just get out. And they, they offered it to me pretty quick. And I just, I put in my 13 day notice. I don't think it was a full two weeks. Uh, I think I did it on a Monday and then like not the next Friday, but the Friday after that was going to be my last or Thursday after that was going to be my last day. And I was just like, and, and on top of that, it, it was an hour commute each way. Um, oh, and that, that's how badly I, I needed to leave and the pay was a lot better, but <laughs> I needed to leave that badly that I was willing to drive an hour, um, into Portland area, um, just to get out of there. Wow. So what lesson do you feel like our listeners like could gather from this? Or what would you say to someone who was experiencing something very similar? Yeah, I think it's that. And I I, I wish like I had the attitude that I have now, maybe not all the attitude that I have now uh, <laughs> that I did back like back then is that like you have to be your like number one fan and you have to be your number one advocate. Um because if you're not like nobody else is going to be like, no one else is going to tell you like no one in the organization that you're in, if you're struggling there, no one there is going to tell you, Oh, maybe you should find another job. Um, because 99, I'm making that number up, but 99% of like agencies and organizations mental health wise, like need you to stay there. So they're not going to tell you like, maybe it's time for you to leave. They're going to say what they're, they're basically going to want to come up with, like, what can we do to make you happy now? And then, you can deal with it later. So really, I, yeah, I, I would tell any new clinician, older clinician, clinician, somewhere in the middle, like, I think you have to be your number one fan and you have to be your number one advocate. Uh, and you have to like, I think, too, just like know your worth. Like, you, you don't have to be dealing with that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, like community mental health is built upon like new grads and people who want to be licensed. Like we, we did not have that many people that were there for that long. Um, and that's like across the board and like across the country with community mental health. So it's, it's knowing like, w what is your level of like BS that I can put up with? Uh, how much am I willing to push that, that level a little bit? And then at what point do I know, like, this is it. I don't need to deal with that anymore. I think that was the biggest thing. Cause now, like if anything goes sideways and even with the, the, hospital job and my current job anytime anything, anything goes sideways in my head i'm like i could find a new job in two weeks this is fine let me let me just let me see what i'm willing to put up with and if it's not worth it anymore i could find a new job pretty quickly um but yeah i, I, I would be that advocate for yourself you, you're worth it that and also i think you're highlighting the scarcity mentality that we feel like mm -hmm. we can't get another job or there's no other jobs out there mm -hmm. and to further build upon that it's that you know it sounds like you took this community mental health job and you liked it it was going well mm -hmm. and there was a pretty clear uh, uh switch that happened with the pandemic but for those of us in positions now the shift or the switch in our environments might be gradual 
Um, but our environments do change and what maybe was a good fit at one point in your career or in, in the world around you might not be a good fit later on. And to not embrace that scarcity mentality that this is the only thing or this is my only option is is incredibly uh, brave and also needed to be able to advocate for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. tough. I mean, and we're, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Eddie. No, 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 no. I was just gonna say I, it, it's tough because um, another piece I forgot to mention this earlier, but I'm also an, an adjunct faculty at the the school that I went to for my master's, and I tell a lot of the students that like you, this was just not talked about like when I was in school. Mm-hmm. Like I don't I don't know why or 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 how we fi- I know how we can fix it, but I just don't know why it just wasn't talked about a lot. Like job preparedness outside of like doing progress notes and, and intake assessments and, and ongoing therapy, like that gets talked about enough, but like the job preparedness of like, what is it? What are the needs that you want to be met? Like, what do you want to get out of a job? Like what is important when you're looking for a job? What is important? Like when you have the job and what is important for you, if you want to keep the job or find something else, like that's just never talked about. So I tell the students all the time, like it, yeah, it's especially now. I think there's I looked at the the job that I used to have. I looked at the posting and I showed it to my class and like this job now pays X amount of money more than when I first had it. Like you there's there's a ton of jobs out there. Like you guys will be fine. And and I tell the students like please be picky. Please um do not just settle for a job because I think you all will have a much better opportunity than I did, you know, 5 years ago when I first graduated. Like you will have multiple opportunities and, and places to look for work and, and you don't need to just settle. Excellent advice. Yes. Such a good point. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I, again, I think it's still relevant, of course, and I think a lot of people can learn a lot from this. But um, before we let you go, where can people find you if they want to connect with you outside of the podcast? Yeah, um, really on on the Millennial Mental Health channel, uh, social media pages, uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Justin's the one that posts the TikTok. His his face is easier to look at than mine. Um, it's all at Millennial MHC. Um, two L's and two N's. Very important. Um, we had a hard time spelling Millennial when we first started the the show. Um, I will admit that our, our first logo was actually misspelled and nobody told us. Um, so we figured that out later. So yeah, <laughs> we're on all this, those social medias. Uh, you can email us millennial MH channel at gmail.com. Um, you can find us wherever, uh, you find your, your podcasts. Um, yeah, f- feel free to check us out. Um, we, we like to just talk a lot about like, I think we, we've shifted a lot to, to more like current things that happen mental health wise, but we do sometimes um, focus on like specific diagnoses and things like that. So um, I'm really happy with, with what we've been able to put together almost over the almost last three years with Justin. So um, yeah, thank you guys again for letting me <laughs> plug that. Of course. And we'll link it all in the show notes too. So that Appreciate there's no it. spelling errors, just go into the description <laughs> wherever you guys are listening and you can click on it right there. So don't worry yeah. about spelling. <laughs> Perfect. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you again so much, Eddie. Thanks, Eddie. Thank you, guys. And that's it. The OG Bad Therapists, Allie and Catherine, are signing off for the week. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We pick a few lucky five-star reviewers to shout out and invite for a 15-minute consultation with the both of us to talk about anything on your mind. From clinical work to podcasting, we're game. Just make sure to leave us your name and location in the review. 
And are you a bad therapist and want to join us on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story. Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song along with many others on any music platform under the artist Air For Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at Air For Effect. And don't forget, we're all bad therapists. <laughs>